Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our study of the gospel according to Matthew. In our study of this gospel, we've seen Jesus do some incredible miracles. We've already seen him calm a storm on the Sea of Galilee. We've seen him exercise the legion of demons from two men. And uh, we have seen him give sight to the blind and even bring Jairus' daughter back to life. And in our next episode, we will even see Jesus walk on water. Now, today we're going to look at a miracle that, well, while incredible, uh, isn't quite as shocking or as awe-inspiring as these. And yet, this miracle story is incredibly well-known and is one of the few stories that occurs in each four Gospels, uh, namely the feeding of the 5,000. But this miracle is not just one in a long list of amazing things Jesus can do. It is stuffed with significance for how we understand who Jesus is. Depending on the context from which we read this story, uh, we will learn different elements of Christology or the study of who Jesus is. As we shine various contextual lights on the diamond that is Jesus, uh, my prayer is that we will grow in our admiration of his beauty. Specifically, we're going to consider this famous story by looking at its surface details, kind of like just like a normal reading of the text. And then we're going to consider it from its surrounding literary context, and then its Old Testament context, and then its historical context of uh, the period of time called Second Temple Judaism. So uh, keep those things in mind as we read our text for this uh, episode. Matthew 14, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place, literally a, a desert place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desert place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into their villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. All right, so let's look at this story first by considering the surface details. Here we see that Jesus is selflessly compassionate. And the antecedent of this in verse 13, now when Jesus had heard this, uh, that's referring to the tragic beheading of John the Baptist. As we considered in our last episode, uh, the amount of real estate uh, the gospel writers give to the death of John actually is surprising. One of the reasons for this is that it foreshadows the persecution that awaits the Lord Jesus himself. It reveals the character of the individuals he's up against. As effective as the calls to repentance seem to have been on the nation, the empire has struck back, so to speak, and it'll only get worse. 
Jesus is grieving for his fellow worker in the kingdom of God, as well as reflecting on the sad state of the nation's leadership. And this is why he's retreated to a private location, though by himself doesn't exclude the disciples, whose presence is uh, kind of assumed. In fact, Mark and Luke record the return of the apostles from their missionary journey. And this retreat into the desert is for their benefit as well. And yet, even though they've gone away on a kind of uh, 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 recuperation vacation, uh, the crowds follow him and disrupt this special time. And so what's the result? Well, we read in verse 14 that Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their diseases. Now, Jesus is on a mission of cosmic proportions, interacting with corrupt leaders, anticipating his own death, but he isn't bothered by people interrupting him. And when the disciples point out that the people are hungry, he doesn't just send them away. He has compassion and cares for them. And it's the kind of compassion that actually leads to addressing the problem. Another light that we can shine on this story is that of the immediate literary context. Um, Here we see that Jesus is the true ruler of Israel. Now, the two scenes of Herod's beheading of John the Baptist and uh, the feeding of the 5,000 are purposefully juxtaposed. The first, we have Herod's birthday party, presumably with elaborate food. But the one gruesome detail we have about what is served is the head of John the Baptist on a platter. It all speaks of the corruption of the Tetrarch Herod Antipas. But the very next scene is another feast. And the host acts in a truly kingly way, not in cowardice, giving in to the demands of his wicked sister-in-law turned wife, but instead taking care of his subjects, himself the compassionate host of this feast. We could also shine the light of the Old Testament on this passage. Doing so will show that Jesus is the great prophet, the one greater than and the fulfillment of the prophets Elisha and Moses. Many commentators see an allusion here to 2 Kings 4. Let me read verses 42 to 44 of 2 Kings 4. A man came from Baal Shalashah, bringing food from the first fruits to the man of God, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. Elisha said, Give it to the people and let them eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred people? So he repeated, Give it to the people and let them eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. And he set it before them, they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Now notice the similarity of the twice given command to Gehazi with what the Lord says to the disciples. Give it to the people and let them eat. Gehazi, that is Elisha's servant, says, this is impossible of so little food, particularly the loaves of barley. And when it's over, there's mention of food left over. But the details in the gospel version only show how much greater Jesus is. Elisha feeds a hundred. Jesus feeds 5,000. Elisha uses 20 loaves. Jesus uses five. The gospel details also show that the people eat and are satisfied and that there are 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now this uh, Elisha-Elijah comparison is all the more fitting in the context of Matthew 15, again, where John the Baptist The second Elijah has left the scene tragically, and the Lord Jesus, the second and greater Elisha, is at work. But though the feeding of the 5,000 echoes Elisha's miracle, the loudest resonance is with the prophet Moses feeding the people in the desert. The Gospel of John, chapter 6, famously brings this out, 
reporting the response of the people, this is that great prophet that is to come into the world, with Jesus talking about how he is the true bread, the real manna. But though the connection is stronger in John to uh, Moses and the, and the manna, it would be unfair to judge Matthew by John's standards and argue along the lines, uh, had Matthew meant for this to parallel the provision of manna, he would have done X, Y, and Z. Instead, we have to go with what we have, and there are sufficient pointers in uh, the, this direction. The expression deserted place uses the same Greek word, which is elsewhere used of the wilderness or the desert, where John the Baptist ministered and where Jesus fasted. Uh, The fact this miracle is placed after the previous story about John the Baptist calls to mind everything that was going on with uh, John. Now, in a previous episode, we discussed how the account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness for 40 days, citing the lesson from Deuteronomy 6 and 8, is meant to echo Israel's wilderness wanderings on their way to the promised land. But one surprising difference regards the use of bread. Satan has strangely tempted Jesus to make bread. And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3, which says that God allowed the people to hunger, but then fed them with manna, so that they would know that a person does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. One of the strange features in that temptation scene was that, well, it seemed like God wasn't providing manna for Jesus. It had been several days in which he had nothing. He had it harder than Israel did, and yet emerged victoriously where they had failed. Now, there is, of course, a person who did fast for 40 days in the wilderness, and that was Moses when he went up Mount Sinai. We have noted throughout our talks in Matthew how Jesus is presented as a new Moses, and so this connection should not be surprising. Here the people are hungry in the wilderness, and Jesus, the prophet deliverer, provides for them. Other Jewish people saw the Messiah as the new Moses who would provide new manna. For example, the later Jewish writing Kohelet Rabbah says, As the former Redeemer caused manna to descend, as it is stated, Behold, I will cause it to rain bread from heaven for you, so will the latter Redeemer cause manna to descend, as it is stated, May he be as rich as a cornfield in the land. End quote. So these echoes of Elisha and Moses portray the Lord as a prophet like them, but also the fulfillment of them, that great prophet that is to come into the world, as John 6 puts it. We can also shine the light of historical context uh, to see the Lord Jesus as the end times banquet host. This is yet again another time when Jesus and his disciples are eating with people and thus fits in with the bigger theme of Jesus's meals. This is a central feature of Jesus' ministry and speaks to the core of what Jesus came to do. Remember his own words in Matthew eleven nineteen: The Son of Man came eating and drinking. So it's best to understand this as connected with Jesus' kingdom mission. Like his miracles and exorcisms, this is a sign that the kingdom of God has drawn near. Isaiah 25 speaks of the great kingdom as a feast, which... Uh, has rich food and well-aged wines. The provision in Matthew 14 is thus a kingdom feast, which may explain why Matthew has used a special verb for sit down in verse 19, which the standard dictionary has uh, dine in style as the expected posture at a feast would be, you know, to lay down like you're at a table. Remember that meals were highly social events, and whom you ate with signified acceptance into the social circle. Jesus here is the host, the one who provides for this end times feast, 
symbolizing that he is the one who will bring in the kingdom of God, and he is the one who offers it to whom he will. The expected doorkeepers of Judaism are not the one who decides who gets in and out, who has the feast or doesn't eat. Jesus is. Uh, this would be a good time to spell out the connections to the Last Supper. Matthew's changes to Mark only heighten these connections. Both are when it was evening, and both have a similar order. 1419, here in our story, has uh, taking the five loaves, he blessed, and breaking them, he gave to uh, the disciples. And then in 2626, at the Last Supper, we read Jesus taking the bread, he blessed, he broke, and he gave to his disciples. But that meal is a foreshadowing of the coming kingdom of God and the feast that accompanies it. Matthew 26, 29 reads, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So what we have in the feeding of the 5,000 is, in a way, a, a, a preview of what's going to happen when the Lord institutes his great supper. Thus, each contextual perspective offers uh, different insights as to how Jesus is presented. He is the selflessly compassionate one, the true king of Israel, the great messianic prophet, the host of the end times feast. We could also look at it this way. Um, on the one hand, we need to see this meal as showing that Jesus genuinely cares for people. He sees their need and he meets it. And uh, that has lots of application for us in meeting other people's practical needs. On the other hand, there is something highly theological going on here. Jesus is the new Moses, providing the new manna of the end times banquet of the kingdom. So we want to emphasize the need for genuinely caring for people, but we also want to do so in a theologically informed way. We are offering people the kingdom of God. Blessed are those that are hungry for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And even as we continue to keep the feast on the Lord's Supper, we point forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus, waiting for his return, and in some way, get a taste of it here and now. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partners.